believe today is a pivotal, pivotal message in this sermon series. If you've been with us over the course of the past 20 plus weeks, we have been in this series on the year of the Bible because of this simple fact. We believe the Bible is a unified, uninterrupted story that leads to Jesus. From Genesis to Revelations, we've said this every single week, it's all about Jesus. Come on, let's do that one more time. It's all about Jesus. I told you, you're gonna have to interact with me today, okay? I love interaction. When you're there and you're quiet, I don't get nervous, I just start to wonder. I love good noise. So we believe that's the case. And when you look at Isaiah chapter 53, you can put this at the top of your notes. It's where we're gonna understand and where we find the gospel in the Old Testament. Isaiah 53, one of the most powerful chapters of scripture in all of the Bible. You say, Pastor, how can you say that? The whole Bible is powerful. Yes, I agree. But if the Bible is a unified, uninterrupted story that leads to Jesus, 700 years before Jesus comes to this earth, a guy by the name of Isaiah, a prophet, says, hey, there's this Messiah, and he's coming. It was ground-shaking at the moment, but powerful in its time and powerful for us today. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had something done for you that was really extravagant? Like, over-the-top extravagant? Like, when, some, when someone did something for you that you didn't see coming, it took your breath away? For some of the ladies in the room, it was probably the way that your, your spouse now, you know, may have uh, got engaged with you. Maybe he went above and beyond and it was extravagant. Or you could be like me where you went extravagant and then at the very last part where you're supposed to say, will you marry me? The words don't come out of your mouth. You forget that part. My story Literally, no joke, Santa Cruz, California, the whole week was full of little surprises, little things here and there, little boxes with questions, and then I got her right to the spot in Santa Cruz, and the ocean waves were coming in, and the setting was great, and the sun was out, and there was a little bit of overcast, and I'm like, this is perfect, and I dropped down, and I got right here, and then nothing (laughs) came out of my mouth. The whole week was planned for it. And all of a sudden, I, was, I just, I, I blanked, I blanked. And she was like, yes, I'll marry you. And I was like, thank you so much. <laughs> I greatly appreciate it. But I tried to do something extravagant for her, right? When you have something like that's extravagantly done for you, man, it's amazing. You remember stuff. Or when you try to go out of your way uh, to do amazing, extravagant things for people. I could remember when God had called me to full-time ministry, the way that God worked on this one, it, it, was, it was literally July of, of 2001, 2001, 2001, why did I say it that way? 2001, see, I couldn't ask her to marry me and I can't put sentences together, okay? Um, and, and, and literally, God called me in July to a full-time intern program, much like the one that we're starting. And this one cost, it was like $3,500 to do it. It was actual Bible-accredited Bible college, It was leadership development, hands-on training. They would put you in what was known as a host opener. In other words, a person from the church. The church was rather large. They would host you in in their home for a year. Well, it's July. It starts in August. They didn't have one for me. So the first six months of the internship for me, I lived in someone's garage. It was actually one of the greatest times of my life. Like I heard God more in that garage 
and a lot of other things in the garage <laughs> than I ever must have. But it was an amazing deal. But here's the deal. It was July, middle July, and the, the intern program started middle of August. And I can remember God calling me to ministry, me knowing about this program, finding out about it, getting the details, and going, man, there's no way this is going to happen. I don't have $3,500. I had just come back from college. I had lost my baseball scholarship. My 68 Volkswagen Bug had caught on fire. So literally, I was living in a garage with no car, walking to the church, opening their gym at 4 o'clock in the morning. I mean, it was, it was crazy. But I could remember knowing the cost of this internship program and thinking to myself, I don't have it. And just because of my upbringing and the way that I was, I didn't want to tell anybody else about it. So I remember one morning, I got to my grandfather's church. My grandpa was a pastor in Sacramento for, for 42 years on the boulevard. And in ministry much longer than that, started in Citrus Heights, but 42 years. And he was literally towards the end of his time in ministry. And so they had, had gotten rid of the church, sold it off, and they were just meeting. There were people that had been with them for 40 plus years. And he's like, you know, they didn't want to go find another church. So he semi-retired and he got a banquet hall at a, at a hotel. So every single Sunday in that summer, we would go and set up every single Sunday. I'm talking, we would have the organ. Bob, you would love this, setting up every Sunday. Drums. Uh, we didn't have like the really big projection screen. It was like, you know, the things where it was like, uh, what do you call those? Uh, back in the day, don't laugh at me, but you would just put projector. Yeah, we had one of those. And the, and the, you know, it was written backwards, but when you put it on there, you could read it forward. You know, the, I mean, we didn't have much. And so I can remember I got to church that Sunday and God had called me to the ministry I hadn't shared with my grandfather yet that I had been called to ministry, nor the price. And that Sunday, he got up, and my grandpa heard from God. I loved my grandpa's preaching. Man, it'd fire you up. Man, if you came into church tired, you went home awake, and then much more. Grandpa didn't let you have no quiet church. Grandpa was interactive. It, listen, if you didn't get interactive, he got crazier. I mean, it was, it was church. Some of you know because you've been raised in that. It's like, if you're going to be quiet, man, they'd be, they'd be quoting scriptures like, man, these, these rocks are going to shout if you don't shout, you know? So it's like, you know, it's like, man, the rocks are better than us sometimes in church. I mean, so, I mean he would just start going off. That's how Papa was. I mean, he's amazing. He got up that morning, and Grandpa would always start the tithe and offering section uh, with, it's offering time. And the whole church would go, ah, they just go crazy. And even as a little kid, I'd go, why do you do that? And it's because he was stemming from the scripture, cheerfully givers to God. So grandpa, even in the middle of taking the offering, was teaching people what the Bible says to be a cheerful giver. So over that 40 plus years, he would say, it's offering time, and they'd all clap their hands, woo, and they'd give. Well, he got up that morning, and he didn't say, it's offering time. And, and grandpa always put it in the same, in the same part of the service. Everyone knew it was coming, so predictable. He got up that morning and he said, the Lord woke me up at three o'clock this morning. He told me my grandson was going to go into full-time ministry. He told me this morning that we're going to take an offering and it's going to go to my grandson. He's going into Bible college. You want to know how much came in the offering? Thirty-five hundred on the dot. Now, hear me, hear me. 
If you're going to clap, clap. Don't be like, ah. Listen, ch church, church etiquette. If somebody else claps, you just start clapping too. Because if not, it just makes it really awkward in the room. You know it. I know it just as much as you know it. So just go for it. Let's practice it on three. One, two, three. Hey, there we go. That's something my grandpa would probably do. Anyways, $3,500 on the dot. Extravagant. Now, in our days, come on, let's be real. That word extravagant doesn't come across the way that that story just did now, does it? Because we see people do stuff with money that is extravagant. So much so that when we read it, we go, what in the world is that? Let me give you an example. George Clooney, you know who he is? $13 million for his wedding. That must have been, matter of fact, that wedding should still be going on if it costs that much, okay? <laughs> I don't know how long ago it was, but it was $13 million. It should be still going. <laughs> Man, this, this, this one will get you. I, I'm not trying to be too carnal in church, but it's just, I just looked up some fun facts. Lady Gaga, she's got a, a pond at her house. She wanted koi fish, so she got one. $60,000 for a koi fish. A fish. I don't want to get into a debate. I don't even know if you can eat those kind of fish. I'm assuming not, but $60,000, you, you might want to get a good meal out of that at some point. Like grow that fish, get that fish nice and good, and then catch it. It's okay, it's okay to still catch fish, y'all. Listen, I'm just saying, I don't want to get into a fight. Some of you will email me, Pastor, we shouldn't shoot or catch fish and eat them. Um, don't look at me that way. I'm not even looking right now. I'm just here. Kanye West. Gold toilets in his home, $750,000. Okay, so you guys know for, for about three years, I, I got to travel with the Oakland A's. Phenomenal time, loved every bit of it. In baseball, we would have a statement, and it would be like this. It's what we call funny money. In other words, you have so much money, you do very funny things with it. That's how much money you have. Now, some people, man, they, they would just call that extravagant. I, we would call it extravagant with some humor. Like, it just doesn't add up. So, I understand that when I say the word extravagant, I'm trying to go somewhere, so just follow with me, okay? I'm not trying to be humorous for the sake of being humorous, although I love laughing in church. Love your smiles. What I'm saying is, is extravagant sometimes doesn't get the rap. But the most extravagant thing that has ever happened on the face of the planet was so extravagant that it not only changes the course of time now, it changes the course of eternity. And that's the extravagant love that God has for you and I. It is so extravagant 
then I say this very respectfully, that we have allowed, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. We have allowed that scripture or God is so loving to become so dull, so default, that we don't understand it was the most extravagant gift that God could ever give. Extravagant. I got, a, I got a text message this week. I got a text message. Man, I'm going all over the map today, but this fits. And it was from a, a family in our church. Won't call them out by name, but it was one of the most encouraging text messages I have I've received. It's funny, I think the way God works, I think God knows. I've received a, a lot of encouraging texts. I don't know if you all think I'm falling apart or what, but you're so encouraging. <laughs> Pastors don't try to play the hurt card, but man, some of y'all don't realize the past year and a half we've been through in trying to navigate a church. And I don't say that for sympathy or for you to say, oh, pastor, it's okay. I say it because you'll never know because you don't need to know. Because for us, you are it for us. Pastors love people. <laughs> if pastors don't love people, <laughs> they ain't got people. So I don't love you just because I want people here. I love you because I love you. But man, I, it's almost as if God just goes, needs that now, needs that now, needs that. I'm like, God, I'm not that needy. I'm okay. <laughs> I, I, but I can remember, lady in our church shot me a text message like, the worship here is so powerful, I feel the moving of the Holy Spirit. That was so encouraging to me because sometimes when you're up here drumming, Chris will tell you worship, you're kind of wondering, like, God, are you here? I don't mean that rudely. Yeah. Uh-oh, did I, did I offend someone there? Because while worship's going on, we're looking at lights and stuff instead of worshiping Jesus. Which leads me to my next text message. That'll help you make sense of what I just said right there because that, that pushes a little bit, doesn't it? This is what this couple said for five, five years ago, they came to our church. And they said, after so much time of trying to find a church, they came here five years ago, felt the moving of the Holy Spirit. I was preaching that day, and they said, man, you kept it real with us, Pastor. You shot straight. Last week, we spoke a message on holiness. Do you know how much people in church hate when pastors preach on holiness? Again, no pity here. Some of you, you don't know the emails I get. I'll be honest with you. I, listen, before I was a pastor, I was a man. I'm still a man, but I was a very carnal man. Sometimes I wanted to, to, to just start an email that says, I don't give a rip.com. And if you have a complaint, please send it to that email address. But that would be improper and wrong because I, I do care. But, but, but here's what she said. She goes, thank you for challenging us to read the Bible and to do what it says. I've said this time and time again. You want to succeed in life? It's very simple. Read the Bible, do what it says. That's it. We've complicated it. We've read books about it. We've listened to authors about it. It's very simple. There's one author who's a lot greater. He gave you a book. He says, if you read this and if you do this, you will succeed. He also said, if you love me, obey my words. It's simple. And that text message was so encouraging. I, I read it probably five times before I finally responded back to her. She probably thought, ooh, 
maybe, maybe he isn't falling apart. I, I don't know. But, but I just waited. And I read it, and I thought, man, because I don't want to get to heaven someday and have God look at me and say, I gave you the place. For I, I realize my last name is Shepherd, but I, I made you a shepherd, a pastor, to help lead people, to push them spiritually, to encourage them, to uplift them, to be there for them, to, to weep with them, to celebrate with them. Like, that's it. And I started to think about this whole idea of, man, have I just made God an idea? Have I, have I, have I just made church the thing that I go to, because, well, that's what we're supposed to do. Have I just made prayer and the Bible something I do because that's just what we do? Or have I made the things of God such a priority in my life that it keeps changing me continually? Because my Bible says, maybe yours does too, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. But it takes two. There's God's part and there's my part. And they both work together. So we see from this extravagant gift that God has given us, his son, Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say, Jesus. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, Jesus. That Jesus was the extravagant gift that God said, okay, if I'm gonna give them anything, they need Jesus. Now, I say all of that because when you look at Isaiah 53, we start to see a prophecy. I mean, listen, this was... This was like the, the Mecca of prophecy in the Bible. 700 years before Jesus comes, Isaiah and these words come to pass, foreshadowing the things that would begin to come. I mean, if you think about it, the book of Isaiah is quoted in the New Testament seven, I'm sorry, 85 different times. Matter of fact, do you want to know the story in the Bible that Philip told the Ethiopian eunuch that led him to Christ? It's like Bible trivia time. Cue the background music. <laughs> Isaiah 53. The reason I want to share very briefly today Isaiah 53 is to remind us all of how simple it is and how Christianity 101 is as simple as Isaiah 53. You wanna know the tension in preparation this week? I said this to God, maybe you've done this too. God, that just sounds so basic. You ever said that before? The gospel is basic. I got three points today. Hey. It's like the Trinity, three points. You know me, if I get beyond three points, man, I'm confusing myself. 
Let, let me give you Christianity 101. Matter of fact, because this message speaks to two different people. You're here today, and you need this message for your own salvation. You're going to hear it today. And for all of us in the room that are saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled, water baptized, Jesus Almighty. You guys know that song? No? No? Okay, cool. I got a new life. Okay, so this is the story. This is how we share the gospel. Here it is, Isaiah 53. There was sin, there came a savior, and he has the cure. That's it. Isaiah 53, all in one. We had a problem, it's called sin. We needed a savior, and Jesus had the cure. It's as simple as that. Matter of fact, you know, when you look at Isaiah, fun fact, Bible fact, this chapter is called a servant's song. This is a little like in-depth Bible stuff right here, okay? The servant's song, which is fitting. For Jesus said, I have come to, uh-oh. Okay, pause the cameras. Good, okay, I'm gonna do that again. Your word is gonna be serve. I'm gonna do the first part, you do the second part. Camera's back on. For Jesus said, I have come to, Man, I'm having fun with you guys today. He said, I've come to serve. So it's funny that all the way in Isaiah 53, we're talking about a servant song. Matter of fact, another fun fact, because the Bible is this interesting, and we're in a series on the Bible, there's four servant songs in Isaiah that point to Jesus. It's, it's okay, so Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49, Isaiah 50, in Isaiah 53, go back and read them. Servant song. This is the fourth one, and it predicts the servant of the Lord who will be the Messiah. Oh, this is too good. Scholars call this the Mount Everest of Messianic prophecy. Did you know there were a lot of debates, by the way, back in the day if Jesus was indeed the Messiah? You know that? Even, even in Isaiah's day? Oh, these, no, oh, that couldn't be, that couldn't be. And this comes out. We were talking about this with the pastors on Thursday. This is like, if you have a big tent, this is like the pole right in the middle of that tent. From, from our friends from Bakersfield, you guys have been in that huge, big white tent. You know, it's like that big pole right in the middle. The gospel hangs on this right here. Isaiah 53. Matter of fact, if you want to write this down, you can. I believe the heart of the gospel is the innocent took the place of the guilty. That's the heart of the gospel. Jesus, the innocent one, took the place of you and I, the guilty ones, the sinful ones. Isaiah 53, we're only gonna look at verses four, five, and six, but I need to read one through three so you can understand four, five, and six. Then I'll give you three points, then we'll get out of here, and you'll go get dad a steak dinner or whatever you have planned. Again, I'm watching golf, probably taking a nap, and then eating steak. It says in this verse one, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. Watch here. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Wow. How dare you talk about Jesus like that? That's what I'm thinking. Verse three. He is despised and rejected by men. Uh-oh. He's a man of sorrows 
and he's acquainted with grief. I want you to remember that word grief. If you like underlining in your Bible, if you like highlighting on your smartphone or whatever it is you read, that word grief is important. It says he's despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him, and he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Fast forward to the New Testament. This is all making sense. Isaiah prophesied it. Jesus said, I, I am like a prophet with no honor in my own hometown. Did they reject him? You bet they did, so much so that they killed him. It's being prophesied. Surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Now you're reading this in the Old Testament. Isaiah is speaking this. And there's a group of people and you have to be wondering, what could they be talking about? Was there a crucifixion going on in the Old Testament? Were there men being lined up on a pole being whipped? No. Isaiah, he got a word from God. So far in advance that if you're the, if you're the listener of this, you're just going like, I don't understand. Verse six, and all we, all, everyone say all. All. Oh, that's a tough word. Because a lot of us don't like to be all. All, we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, everyone, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Oh, man. I mean this humbly to myself and to anyone in this room or watching online. Like Romans says, for all have sinned, and fallen short of the glory of God. Come on, go back to before Jesus calling your name. Go back to that time in your life where you had no purpose, no joy, no peace, no direction, confusement, wondering, in despair. See, I, I believe that I believe that, that God, or that there should be a lot said about God's saving power just as much as God's staying power. Saving, staying. Let me give you an example. Drug addicts coming to the Lord. They share their story. We hear it. We're moved. We're touched. Oh my gosh, God saved them. Think of the brokenness in a person's life and then God got their number and we saw it for ourselves and we've said things like, man, only God can do that and only God can do that. That's why when we give an altar call at our church, I say, don't listen to the pressure of a man if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you because only the Holy Spirit will draw a person to repent, not a guy in how good he can preach. The Holy Spirit draws so when you see someone come to Christ, guys, realize no small thing. But we have God's saving power. But listen to me. There's just as much to be said about God's staying power. Pastor, my testimony's boring. I was raised in church. 
the worst thing I've done is I started a riot in kindergarten. Yep, I did, I did. <laughs> we were in class that day and I grabbed those crayons and I threw them across that room and ways you. I've heard people say, man, my testimony's so boring. And pastor, I had two great parents. They loved the Lord, they kept us in church. If I did wrong, they showed me grace, but they also taught me truth. Oh, I just don't feel like my story's that important to people. I really got nothing to share. Are you kidding me? God's staying power is just as important as his saving power. Listen, point number one. I know we know it. We're going to remember it. We all sin. No matter how long you've been serving Jesus, you sin as Nate comes. I sin. Do you sin? Come on, let's just have a, let's have a James, the book of James moment, where it says to confess your sins one to another. Remember that part? It says when you do that, you're, you're whole and healed, by the way. Did you know that? M- meaning if you have a stronghold in your life, an addiction in your life, that the Bible says you find your forgiveness of sin from God, but you find your wholeness and your healing through one another. So let's just all be whole and healed. Do you sin? We all sin. Some at different levels, but let's just call it what it is. Sin is sin. They got different consequences. I get that. But in God's eyes, sin is sin. But Jesus, what did he do? He took our griefs. What does that word grief mean? It literally means sickness. The sickness of sin. Jesus took it. He took your sin. He took my sin. And he put it upon himself. This is the greatest message. The innocent died for the guilty. He took it upon himself. Every day. When you mess up, Jesus says, I took that. I'll forgive you. You're forgiven if you confess with your mouth. Aren't you thankful that he took your sin? It's not a popular message. A lot of people don't want to hear someone saying, hey, you you got sin. Did you know that? Did you know that really makes people upset when you call them out? Now, I want to say something to you. You earn the right to speak into someone's life. Let me give you a great tip on leading someone to the Lord. Number one, the Lord saves them, not you. That's, that set me free. We, that's the, that message is for a whole other day, but I could show you one story in the Bible where Jesus literally proved that it is only God who leads a person to repent. And Jesus was actually in the story. It's amazing. Anyways, he does that. But listen to me. You want to see a family member who doesn't know Jesus come to Christ? Walk with them. Jeannie and I were having such a great talk a few weeks ago about family. Anybody got lost family members? In other words, they don't know Jesus. Would you just walk with them and love on them and pray for them? I tell people all the time, and people want to rebuke people nowadays. I'm just going to tell them straight. Until you wept over them, you don't have any right to tell them anything. You love on people. You pray for them. You believe God for them. And then you show up to the birthday parties. 
you answer the phone call and you just love. Does it mean you're overlooking their? No, of course not. But you earn the right to speak into a person's life. Some of you need to understand, you just need to walk some time and you watch. God's faithful. You got a lost son and daughter away from the Lord in here today? They're coming back and God's using you as part of their story. Love them. Be there for them. Spend time with them. Let them see you smile. Let them see you laugh. Let them see you generous to the poor. Let them see you serve the body of Christ. They're, they're going to see something. But it's not, it's not fun. For, for example, Eastern religions like Hinduism, they teach that sin and righteousness, good and evil, they're relative terms. That, that everybody stumbles on their way towards self-realization. Now, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but we are Christians. There is a difference. So I'm not trying to throw shade. I'm just saying this is what we believe. In ourselves, we cannot fix ourselves. It's only Jesus. So they would say if you, if you mess up in this life, you can just be reincarnated in the next. And you'll get chance after chance after chance. That's not me making up, the, that's them. This is what they say. Buddhism, they don't recognize sin. They teach the principles of karma. The bi-faith teaches that humans are naturally in basic good, as does Scientology. Pastor, I don't, I don't feel comfortable with you talking about this, okay? Jesus said, I am the door. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's gonna come a time, friends, when our boldness for Christ and our love for the scriptures must be spoken in truth and in love. You say, well, Jesus only was loving. No, <laughs> loving and truthful. Woman caught in adultery, your sins are forgiven. Now go that way and don't do that again. What's that? That's love, grace, and truth. It's both. You gotta have both. Sin. Well, one person said this, and it's crazy to me. Very famous pastor. I won't call him out by name unless I feel I need to, but I don't do. He said this, I don't think anything has been done in the name of Christ and under the banner of Christianity that has proven more destructive to the human personality and hence counterproductive to the evangelism enterprise than the often crude and unchristian strategy of attempting to make people aware of their lost and sinful condition. That was a lot of words, but here's what he was saying. In other words, he is saying, the worst thing you could ever tell someone is that they are spiritually sick and sinful and in need of a savior. Well, then how in the world will people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior if we don't take, uh, take responsibility to say, hey, look, I love you, but man, this is off. And I know somebody who can help. It almost appears like the Bible is literally the lone voice in the world that calls things what they need to be called. Friends, look at me real quick. I realize this is not a popular message for culture and society but this should be a very convicting message for believers. We are going to be the voices. God is going to use you to reach people for him. Do you believe that? Okay, so if you do, listen, okay. So 
So if you do, if you do, don't you think it's important that we understand we're sinners, but we're forgiven. How? I'm so glad you asked. Takes us to point number two, which is this, is that we all need a savior. So we all have sin and we all need a savior. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. What am I saying? Very simply, the innocent is substituted for the guilty. The perfect is substituted for the imperfect. The sinless one is substituted for those who have sin. Point number three, and then I'll end with the story. There is a cure that is available to all. Man, it would do no good. Come on, you guys know what I'm talking about because we've been in these services before if you were raised in church where the message is so heavy but hope isn't given. That's a tough service to be in. Let me give you hope. We have sin. There's a Savior. Here's the hope. He has a cure. Are you thankful for the cure? I guarantee when you stand before God someday and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant, you will be thankful for the cure of Jesus.